Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are looking at a debut from a new filmmaker, Tyresha Poe, and her movie Sell It and the Spades, which is an Amazon original. Uh, you can go watch it right now on Prime, and I encourage you to watch it on Prime if you haven't yet. It's definitely a movie worth checking out, and we're going to talk about it and talk about its influence with uh, our good buddy Josh Bell returning to the show. It's his first time on for a while. You know him from Awesome Movie Year. And later this week, we're also going to have his buddy Jason Harris on the show as well. So this is kind of like a little unofficial Awesome Movie Year week on Piecing It Together. So we got two great episodes for you this week. So uh, selling the spades. It's going to be a great conversation. Make sure you've watched it before we get into this one. It's definitely a movie you should go check out. And you should also make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. We would love it if you did that. So uh, without any further ado, let's get into today's episode. <music> All right, back on the show with us today, we have got our good buddy, Josh Bell. How's it going, Josh? Uh, it's going well, you know, life is strange right now, but I'm making the best of it. <laughs> yeah, this is our, uh, we, we've recorded a bunch of awesome movie years this way, but this is our first time recording Piecing It Together a long distance. Uh, yes, that yeah. is true. We're used to being face-to-face, and now we're on kind, camera instead. Kind of face-to-face, yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah, in a I, way. I sure. feel like I feel like nothing has changed at all. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, today we are going to be talking about Sella and the Spades, and uh, I I thought this was a good movie for us to cover. It's it's definitely different. It's unique. You know, it it is something I think should be covered. I think it's something that a lot of people should see, and it's on Amazon Prime. And you know, we don't do enough of these. Uh, you know, VOD streaming movies. Uh, what was your initial reaction when you first saw this one? I like this movie a lot. I know you didn't like it as much as I did, and I, I was suggesting it as something to cover and hoping that you would like it. And so uh, mm-hmm. that's okay, though. You know, uh, it's maybe it's not for everyone. But yeah, I, I really like this movie. I would say, you know, obviously this is a strange year and a lot of movies that were supposed to come out have not come out. But of of the movies that were released this year, this is probably my, my second favorite movie behind another movie that we covered on this podcast, uh, Gretel and Hansel, that did oh, yeah. come out in theaters in the early 
part of the year. So yeah, I just I love the style of this movie. Uh, I love the the way the dialogue is is written. I think it's got great performances, and it just felt really fresh and new to me. Even though, as we'll of course talk about, there are many influences on it. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I had I had been hearing a bit about it because it had played at some festivals before Amazon picked it up. And um, it's I guess it was it's not a movie that was intended for theaters. Amazon picked it up with the intention of just putting it out on on oh, streaming. Okay. But it had played uh, in, a, in a few big festivals. So it was something that was on my radar and I was curious to check out and I just ended up really liking it. So I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah, this movie definitely gets points for style. Uh, I will I will give it that a hundred percent, and uh, there's there's plenty to like about it, that's for sure. But why don't we jump into some uh, puzzle pieces? What do you got for your first one? Well, my first one is I think probably the most obvious one, uh, and is the thing that came to mind immediately while watching it, and that's Ryan Johnson's Brick, sure, which is. Uh, another movie that is uh, set in a high school among teenagers, uh, but is extremely stylized and uses the structure of, in Brick, it's more of the sort of detective film noir uh, mm-hmm. genre, whereas here it's more like the gangster mafia movie genre, I guess you would say. Yeah. But I mean, those there's a lot of overlap between those two genres. And uh, I think the idea of taking the structure and uh, the character types and the dialogue from that crime genre that we're used to seeing uh, with obviously with adult characters and with, with different kinds of stakes, you know, the, the highest stakes in this movie are like, are we going to have the prom really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Br- Brick has slightly higher stakes. Cause I think he's, he's investigating someone. Is it a disappearance or a murder? I forget, but it's a little, yeah. it's a little more serious, but at the same time, it's all through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is, is very similar to what Tyree Chappelle is trying to do with this movie, what Ryan Johnson did in Brick. And also similarly, I think, you know, Brick was his first feature. This is her first feature. Sure, yeah. And you can see just they're like bursting with these ideas and talent. And I think she could very well go on to do, uh, to have a career like Ryan Johnson has had and create a lot of these really distinctive visionary genre pieces. So, uh, and I hope that she will. Yeah, but she's clearly got a lot of confidence going into a movie like this, and uh, I had Brick on my list as well, absolutely, just, you know, taking the high school uh, movie and mixing in these other genre. Uh, you know, it, it's funny, I don't know, and I think this is part of the reason why I didn't necessarily connect with the movie that much, is I've never been a big fan of the organized crime kind of movie. Uh, mm. I just, I have trouble following all the different clans and all that stuff, and I'm like, wait, who's who and which is which, and who doesn't like who, and I don't know, it's just, it's a little much. Uh, but I, I, it's clearly there, though. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, I'll go for my first piece then, uh, other than Brick, which was on my list, but, uh, that would be Mean Girls, the <laughs> the uh, Tina sure. Fey and Lindsay Lohan and all them. Uh, but, you know, setting up all these different factions with their leaders and, uh, you know, giving you all these little all these little behind the scenes tidbits of who all these people are and why, why they have their little beefs with each other and, uh, and, and jumping around all those different crews and getting to know the leaders of each one. And, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting world that takes a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of balancing to really 
uh, put it together and really create that world and make it like fleshed out and make it all work together. And I don't know, Mean Girls is such a such a fun use of that kind of a structure. I think. Yeah, I love Mean Girls, and I think. In, in a way, similarly, there's a whole motif in Mean Girls where Lindsay Lohan's character talks about the structure of high school like it's a wildlife documentary, yeah, yeah. I think it is, right? So, I mean, it's another way where they're taking another kind of movie, a familiar thing that you the audience has seen in a lot of places and, and placing that on top of the high school structure and using that to to kind of uh, introduce their sets of characters and how they relate to each other. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like the nature documentary uh, metaphor could have worked here too with people like just being just awful to one another in this movie, you know? Yes, it is a a survival of the fittest kind of thing going on in this movie. Yes. (laughs) Well, what do you got for your next piece? Uh, So my next uh, pick is Cruel Intentions, Mm -hmm. which is uh, another prep school set a movie about people betraying each other. Uh, a lot more like romance and sex, of course, in that movie. And and one of the interesting things about Sella and the Spades, one of the things that I like about it is the way that it really rejects the idea of like romantic entanglements as a top concern for these characters. Uh, Sella has that one speech where she's like, why would I bother with that? You know, why would I do something that makes me go cry in the bathroom? Yeah, yeah. Um, But at the same time, Cruel Intentions is all about these people kind of deviously manipulating each other within the realm of this elite uh, prep school and, you know, people whose lives are so comfortable, most of them, you know, they have all that they could want in terms of uh, wealth and security. And so all they can do is spend their time manipulating each other and, uh, kind of sniping and betraying each other over these petty things. So I think there's a bit of that going on here too, uh, where really none of these characters need to do any of these things. None of them are, (laughs) they're not dealing drugs because they need the money. They're Mm -hmm. dealing drugs because it's fun or just because they want to do something dangerous or whatever, or feel powerful. So I think that's something that goes on uh, in Cruel Intentions uh, as well. I think overall, this movie really had a sort of 90s throwback feel to it. And I, I have a few other 90s things on my list. So uh, nice. yeah, cruel intentions. Nice. No, I like it. I like that as a piece. And yeah, it's funny that that uh, that takeaway from it of these these people don't need to be doing this stuff, you know, and it, it this whole movie just has this feeling of, uh, you know, you you either have to go along with this or you're just not going to buy him because it's like, why are they doing any of this stuff? Why are they so mad? Like why they, they do seem to come from, you know, fairly nice backgrounds. Like what what is it that is like driving them to you know, be at war basically. And it's like, oh, because this is a movie. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Although I think, I mean, there is that, but I think also there's, you know, there, you have the one scene where Stella goes home and she talks to her mother Mm -hmm. who is, you know, pressuring her about going to the right college. And why doesn't she get a hundred on her test instead of a 93 or whatever. And even though these people have all of the sort of material comforts that anyone could want, they, you get the sense, I think at least in Sella, case that she feels powerless in terms of her own like agency in her life that she has all this stuff but it's all at the whims of other people and so taking charge by being the head of this gang and being a drug dealer is a way that she can kind of take back some agency in her own life 
Yeah, I will say the uh, that scene with the mother, um, the the scorpion and the frog. I think it was metaphor. Right. That that was probably my favorite part of the movie. I mean, I don't think it gets bleaker than that. You know. <laughs> so I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that that story. That's a common folk story. I feel like there's probably at least one gangster movie that's used that story, and maybe that's why she put it in there. But yeah, that was one one part where they started telling it, and I was like, oh, really? This story again? I feel like I've seen this in a million movies. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. All right. So I'll go to another piece then, and uh, I'm just going to jump to another prep school with Wes Anderson's Rushmore. Um, I, you know, I know I actually saw a couple of uh, interviews where the director said that she was, in fact, influenced by Wes Anderson. So I'm cheating a little bit here, but that she loved his sense of style and all that, uh, you know, the, the, the very heavily stylized thing where it's a very specific look and specific everything, really just a lot of specificity to everything that she's choosing to do on screen. And so, I, you know, I think it kind of, you know, of course, extends to a lot of Wes Anderson's work. But, you know, setting Rushmore in that prep school, uh, I thought was the specific one that I should choose. Yeah, that makes sense. I had Rushmore on my list as well. And I think uh, as you did, I saw some of those interviews. And, uh, you know, uh, as we've certainly documented extensively on Awesome Movie Year, I am not a Wes Anderson fan. <laughs> I think we've documented that here as well. Out, there you go. Yes, all <laughs> over the place. Everywhere. I'm always shouting about how much I dislike Wes Anderson. But I mean, the thing about Wes Anderson is that a lot of the kinds of things that he does that I dislike, I feel like other people can do better and mm. I don't necessarily dislike them inherently at all times. Mm -hmm. And so um so I think you're right. I mean obviously you're right. She said specifically that she's influenced by Wes Anderson and that she's a big fan of his. Uh but I think the stylization here works really well and it fits with her story and it enhances your understanding of the characters. And yes, obviously Rushmore with the prep school setting uh is the most uh the clearest Wes Anderson influence here. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what do you got for your next piece then? Well, my next uh, puzzle piece is David Robert Mitchell's The Myth of the American Sleepover, uh, which is his first film that kind of was slightly under the radar. He later made It Follows, and I know you're a big fan of uh, Under the Silver Lake, Absolutely. Which, which I still haven't seen, but I should. Yeah. Um, but I have seen The Myth of the American Sleepover, which is uh, a teen movie, and um, plot-wise, it's not uh, necessarily similar to this one, it's a more like low-key kind of understated uh, drama just about kids hanging out. But but one thing that struck me about this movie that he does in that movie as well is the sort of sense of timelessness of it, where mm. you don't know when this movie takes place. You notice in, in Cella and the Spades, like no one has a cell phone, no one uses a computer, um, mm. and which is you think of as like these essential elements of teenage life in, in 2020. Everyone is constantly on the social media and especially in this context where these teenagers are talking behind each other's backs and kind of bullying or whatever, of course they would be all over social media and texting and whatever, but there's none of that in this right. movie. Um, but yet at the same time, there's modern cars. It's clearly not set specifically in the past. At one point, there's a character listening to an iPod. And hmm. I like that in this movie. And I really like that in The Myth of the American Sleepover, where it's Again, it gives it that timeless quality. It's not about a time period. It's about a time of life. It's about being a teenager, which is a constant thing no matter when it takes place. And there's there's 
a, there's a similar kind of blurring of technology in the myth of the American sleepover. There's also this thing in that movie where he sort of invents a thing. It looks like a little seashell that the mm. characters like open up and it has a little screen on it. And you're like, this is not a real thing, but it sort of approximates like texting or cell phones, but it's not <laughs> a cell phone or or a computer or anything. And so I, I really like that aspect of that movie, which is almost like a sci-fi-ish thing in the midst of this very grounded teen movie. And I thought Sella did that as well. That, that's funny, um, you know, this being a, uh, a mix with the whole like mafia style uh, genre. You, you know, whenever you see that genre, you always think of the 20th century and certainly not like something that's, you know, totally recent, not something in the last few years or whatever. So, you know, it definitely does mix up that uh, that sense of where you are time wise. Yeah, that was one. Again, that was one thing about this movie that I, I actually I like just really liked and really connected with. Yeah, no, that's cool. I like that. Um, okay, so I'm going to go for my uh, next piece. And, you know, like I said at the beginning, uh, it, my favorite thing about the movie is the style of it all. I mean, it absolutely looks great. It's a really well shot film. And uh, it reminded me of another. Okay, so not really debut because I know he had the previous film, which I've heard is also really beautiful looking, but uh, Barry Jenkins and Moonlight. Um, I know he also had uh, Medicine for Melancholy, which I never saw. But um, but no, just these just incredibly beautifully shot films. Uh, also a, a black filmmaker making their debut. And uh, just the way that the way that they're, um, you know, the way they're, toying with lighting and stuff like that to really like make things that just really shine and like pop off the screen in really, really interesting ways. I thought, uh, I thought it was another debut that kind of mirrored that in a way. Yeah. I, I actually, I also haven't seen medicine for melancholy, but, but moonlight is great. And, and Barry Jenkins is certainly another director who you can sense that confidence. Like you were saying before yes. that, that Tyree Chapeau has where you're like, they just know exactly what they want and exactly what they're doing. And there's so many debut features where you feel like the the filmmaker maybe is wary of that and is trying to do something simpler and more basic and not as ambitious. And, mm -hmm. you know, these are certainly filmmakers who are very ambitious. And I think, uh, I think pull it off. Very yeah, well. absolutely. I, I think, uh, I think that also, helps when it comes to uh it being a you know such a different fresh voice and to try to uh you, you kind of need that confidence to really push forward with a voice like that to actually like stand out and everything yeah absolutely this wouldn't work if the filmmaker was like not sure about you know trying to do something this stylized doesn't work unless you just completely go for it yeah exactly exactly all right um well i only have one more piece what uh what do you have next I have a few more, but we can uh, we can pare them down. Uh, yeah, you knock I them was, all out. Do them all. I was trying to uh, <laughs> you trying to trying to narrow down the sort of gangster uh, influences. I mean, you could really just probably name uh, you know all of the iconic gangster movies, and and I know in the, those same interviews where Tyree Chappelle talks about Wes Anderson, she's talked about The Godfather. Um, to me, the w one of the the ones that I thought of was Donnie Brasco. Mm. Uh, with Al Pacino and and Johnny Depp. And the element of that that I think, and I feel like this is in a lot of gangster movies, but I couldn't quite come up with other good examples. But the idea of the sort of uh, upstart protege coming in sure. and the leader who just like unconditionally trusts this person and immediately thrusts them into this like major role within the organization. Yeah. And that's what we get here with 
with Sela and and her protege uh, Ploma, and of course in Donnie Brasco, it turns out that that person is an undercover cop, and that's mm. there's no element. You know, we don't have Ploma; she's not spying for the principal or something like that. <laughs> um, but but there's there's a similar way in which the 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 established figure, you know, like the Al Pacino character in Donnie Brasco, his trust of Donnie Brasco kind of leads to his downfall. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens here in that Sela's trust of Ploma leads to her instability as a leader of her organization. So I felt like this was a familiar kind of structure for a gangster movie. And Donnie Brasco is the one that, that to me came to mind first about that. Yeah, the Irishman could work too uh, for that, and and like you said, a lot of other gangster movies. I was gonna bring one up, but then I was like, I was like, when was the last time you watched The Godfather, Dave? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> right. thirty years yes. ago or something. So yeah. I, I'm not prepared to sit here and talk about The Godfather, but it no, actually it's fair. it's on my watch list though for during quarantine. I'm gonna uh, rewatch right. The Godfather one of these days. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, absolutely, Donnie Brasco. Uh, good good version of that kind of story to uh to bring up as a puzzle piece. Uh. So yeah. So my last piece, and this isn't any one specific thing, but and and I think I've used this before. On on, on episodes of the show, but just music videos in general. Um, there's definitely, and not just the scenes where they kind of break out into interpretive whatever kind of moments uh, in the gym and that kind of stuff, but also just the, uh, again, to the stylishness of this, like, you know, uh, video directors like Hype Williams and, you know, all those people back in the 90s, you were bringing up the 90s earlier, would, like, really push the limits of what you could do on film by making things that are just so... uh, so just beautifully stylized and all that. And, and I think that there's a lot of that pushing the limits uh, of what it can look like uh, that, that's on display here. Yeah, absolutely. And I know Tyresha Poe has a background as a photographer, mm. uh, which kind of goes along with that. And I don't know if she's directed music videos, but I think she's talked about like Rihanna specifically as an influence, whether that's in videos or fashion or uh, just, just kind of attitude. So absolutely, you can see the that kind of thing and you could see sequences from this movie that could just be music videos you know without without any dialogue in them if they just have a song playing so totally uh yeah i like that and there's a good mix of music in this movie as well not just one type of music um so she clearly maybe that's even another wes anderson-y thing you know where she's carefully selecting songs that different kinds of songs that fit different uh parts of the movie and parts of the story so yeah yeah absolutely. absolutely all right what do you got next Okay, so I have like four more, but I can okay. run through them quickly. Go for um, it. So first up on the on the gangster movie uh, sort of uh, end of things, and this is a movie that you were saying you hadn't seen The Godfather in a long time. I have not seen this movie in a really long time, uh, but Miller's Crossing, the Coen Brothers movie, sure. um, which is another movie where uh, sort of there's a lot of the betrayal and the the people who trust the wrong person in their organization. Um, and beyond that, I also think that the Coen brothers are filmmakers who also have this like such impressive command of style and who write the very memorable kind of sometimes unrealistic, but really flavorful dialogue that uh, I think is, is an element of this movie. So uh, I mean, beyond Wes Anderson, I could see her, uh, you know, having a career that 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 mirrors something like what the Coen Brothers have done. I mean, we'll see. Obviously, the Coen Brothers are 
massive major filmmakers. Um, but Miller's Crossing in particular is something that I thought of where it's like, it, yes, it's a gangster movie and it plays with a lot of the conventions of gangster movies, but it has that Coen Brothers twist to it. And sure. I think that's kind of what she brings as well. But it's been it's been a very long time since I saw that. I remember it being great, but uh, speaking uh, not so much to the piece, although great piece, but uh, to to the the question of her, you know, extended career. I know there's been talk about this uh, becoming a series, possibly. Have you seen anything about whether it's actually her who's supposed to bring it there? I haven't seen anything about that, and as uh, as much as I love this movie, I feel like. I'm I'm sort of opposed to the idea that everything is now a TV series. So yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things that works about this movie is that it has that full arc to it that it sure. that it ends. So, um, but I can certainly see that being appealing, especially because this is an Amazon uh, release, and Amazon, of course, is also in the business of making TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know, and if they are going to make it a series, I hope that she would be. Uh, in charge of that because her vision is clearly what makes this work. Um, But at the same time, I think I'd rather just see her take on a whole new project and do a new movie and I'd be more excited about that. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So yeah, we'll see about that, I suppose. So what do you got next then? Uh, Okay, so well, headed back to the 90s. My uh, other pick was The Craft. And uh, this is you know, again, the, the the sort of the prep school setting and the 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 gang of girls who uh, band together and kind of control the school. Obviously, that's a supernatural story. They're witches, but mm. it's it's a similar uh, kind of attitude that the characters have. Uh, and then, of course, there's the fracturing of the group, the one who gets kind of too enamored of her own power and uh, feels threatened. So I think there's a lot of that similar teenage girl dynamic going on uh, in the craft, um, which, you know, is another 90s movie and uh, and a movie that I love, although haven't seen in a little while, um, sure. but probably should revisit. I think it was supposed to be remade, but I don't know if that's still happening. They've been talking about that a lot lately. I, it's got to be in the works I'd imagine. But, uh, but yeah, no, that's a great one. And I mean, that, that's one of the things that like makes it hard for me to, as much as I did love the craft back in the day and I haven't seen it in forever either. Um, but I don't know nowadays, maybe it's just me becoming an old man, just yelling from my, you know, get off my lawn. But like the, to see these young people with all this attitude, I'm just like, just cut it out. <laughs> kids you don't have <laughs> you don't have tolerance you have a low tolerance for teenagers with attitude i i think so i think that's what yeah. i'm saying here <laughs> that's fair and uh so you had one other one uh oh, i have two more but okay. uh one more that i think kind of speaks to a different element of this which is dope the uh rick famuyiwa movie from a few years ago yeah which is uh also about very smart teenagers who end up becoming drug dealers. Um, in that case, they're not privileged. They're people who are in a, uh, you know, a working class or uh, even uh, impoverished neighborhood who are trying and hoping that their success in school will kind of rise them out of this neighborhood. And they get stuck in a position where they have these drugs and they have to deal with these gangsters who are after them. Um, but I feel like there is that that contrast of the smart students who end up using their intelligence in service of becoming criminals right. in a way. Uh, and there's also this element in Sella and the Spades, which is a little underexplored and we never really see it of the idea that they have to go to these kind of dangerous neighborhoods in order to acquire their product. Mm. And, you know, one of the punishments that Sella deals out to her 
kind of former right-hand man as she makes him go by himself to this dangerous neighborhood and he ends up getting beat up and all of that stuff happens off screen. Um, But in Dope, that's kind of like the main thrust of the story is the risk that these people are constantly in. Um, And those characters are, are like, maybe more likable or more fun and they're, they're less uh, sociopaths like Zella (laughs) is. Um, But, and that's a movie that is about characters who are obsessed with the nineties. The whole Mm -hmm. theme going on in that movie is how much these characters are really into like the hip hop of the nineties. So in fact, as I was trying to remember it, I thought, isn't this movie set in the nineties and it's not set in the nineties, but the characters all love the nineties. So that's, that's kind of what's going on there. Yeah. You know, this is making me uh, realize we covered uh, Her Smell last year, which I also didn't like as much as you, but it then went on to grow on me quite a bit as I, you know, moved forward from actually having watched it. And uh, I'm wondering if this one will grow on me a little bit more uh, as we go on. I hope that it will, because obviously, you know, it's it's a movie that I, I really like a lot and I want more people to. And I, I get nervous and like I'm recommending this, even though it's overall like reviews have been very positive about it. But it seems like the kind of thing that it's either you're either on the wavelength of it or you're not. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I tell people, oh, this is great. You should see it if they're going to come back and say, what the hell did you tell me to watch? <laughs> that actually uh, brings up a good point. I forgot I wrote this down. I was looking at reviews on Letterboxd. And my favorite one was a 3.5 star review from someone named uh, Andre Me. And it said, I don't know what they're saying, but girl, I am living. <laughs> I just thought that was good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's part of like the the stylized dialogue too. You kind of you realize like people don't really talk like this, but yeah. it gives you such a like immersive sense of this world. And I think that goes back to Brick, where there's a lot of dialogue in Brick where you might be like, "What? Yeah. What are they talking about here?" But it just you just go with it. And so I like that about this movie for sure. Um, so, well, the last thing I'll mention is is a movie that I've talked about extensively on Awesome Movie Year, which is Heather's, which is my favorite movie sure. of all time. And it's a teenage black comedy. It involves the the queens, uh, queen bees of the school. And so I feel like I kind of had to, I felt like if I didn't mention it, would I would be remiss. And yeah. uh, I, I kind of thought that you would bring it up and, and reprimand me. I, but, I brought uh, up I brought up Mean Girls so you could bring up Heather's. So, yeah, oh, there yeah. you go. So, uh, yeah, I, lo- I love Heather's. And um, I, I don't think it's necessarily as strong an influence as some of the other things I mentioned, but I do think it also has very stylized dialogue and attempts to invent its own slang and things like that. Um, and, and it goes in a, in a different kind of direction, obviously, uh, towards the end than, than this movie does, where I think, uh, I think Tyree Chapeau is very focused on the idea of the stakes being low. Again, the big thing at the end of the movie is like, can they have the prom? You know, whereas Heather is, is about like, the school being blown up and everybody dying potentially at the end. Mm. But, um, but I do think you can, you can draw a connection there. Do you think there's some, uh, some idiot in a boardroom somewhere just like sitting there at his desk and going, Teresa Poe, Heather's remake. Let's do this right now. <laughs> well, I hope not only for the reason that that they they recently did remake Heather's into the very very ill-fated TV series. <laughs> so, I'm I'm guessing that as a property Heather's is probably kind of toxic right now and no one's trying to remake it. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> All right, so I'll do the finished puzzle then we'll get into our closing thoughts. Uh finished puzzle for Sella and the Spades includes Brick, Mean Girls, Cruel Intentions, Rushmore, The Myth of the American Sleepover, Moonlight, Donnie Brasco, Music Videos, uh, Miller's Crossing, The Craft, Dope, and Heathers. So uh, 
I think, you know, like I said, the, the main thing that really stood out to me is that, you know, is the confidence of this, this filmmaker of this being a debut film. And I think that's, that's why, even though I didn't love the movie, mainly because of the characters, you know, um, I, I really appreciate it for what it is and thought it was worth, you know, worth talking about. And, you know, and I read your review and I could absolutely see the things that you were connecting with in it. I think, uh, I think there's a lot, a lot great going on in this movie. Yeah, obviously I think it's, it's great. And, uh, I hope more people will, will check it out and won't have that. Although I, in a way I feel like a movie that provokes those kinds of love hate reactions is, is positive that even if a, People watch it and they're like, what the hell? No, I can't do, you know, that's, that's something that, uh, that I am happy to champion. So, yeah. uh, most of my I, favorite movies do that. I think there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So, and in, and in this time when everyone is, is at home and looking for what new movies are around that they can watch at home, this will probably find a, maybe a bigger audience than it would have otherwise if it came out amidst big blockbusters being out in theaters and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's a great movie. Like I said, it's my probably number two for the year this year so far. And, uh, I can't wait to see what, uh, Tyree Chapeau does next and the acting too. I mean, uh, I don't know if we mentioned as much, but you know, lovey Simone who plays Sella is just absolutely great in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think she probably has a really good career ahead of her as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. So, uh, I think that, about does it uh josh do you have something else you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners yeah i'll recommend another uh on-demand release this one even more obscure (laughs) uh movie that will be out on on vod uh rental on may 5th is called raising buchanan a very low budget comedy about a uh, kind of slacker loser woman in Arizona who hatches this plan to steal the corpse of President James Buchanan <laughs> and uh, ransom it for its return and uh, discovers that actually no one wants the corpse of President James Buchanan returned because he's considered the worst president. Um, and so it's it's a funny character study about this, this woman who's kind of... Uh, loser and trying to figure out her life. But the best thing about it is that after she steals Buchanan's corpse, she has this this sort of imagined relationship with James Buchanan himself. She talks to him and, you know, that's how she kind of works out her problems and stuff. And uh, Rene Aubergenois, in one of the final movies that he did before he passed away last year, he plays James Buchanan and he is just fantastic as Buchanan to the point where I was wishing that he had done, you know, some kind of one man show where he uh, <laughs> redeems James Buchanan. So he's he's amazing in that movie, which is a fun movie overall. Uh, Raising Buchanan out on May 5th on VOD. I that sounds like my kind of movie. I might have to uh, check that. One <laughs> I hope you do. I think like Selling the Spades, it's a movie that probably some people will think, what the hell is this? And yeah. why am I watching it? But if you're if you're on the wavelength, you will enjoy it. Nice, nice. All right. Well, uh, why don't you tell people about where they can find your writing and awesome movie here? For me, you can find me at joshbellhateseverything.com, at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook, and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. 
And yeah, listen to Awesome Movie Year wherever you find podcasts or check us out at awesomemovieyear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Although I don't know if we ever have ever posted anything on Instagram. You know what? I never update my piecing it together Instagram. You guys don't do your, your, we might, we might have to uh, have a little awesome movie or meeting and get us to uh, doing some Instagram yeah, stuff. Yeah, put something on there, at least yeah. one thing. Yeah. So it would, maybe, it would be maybe good. try the other social media first, but please, well, please listen. Aren't awesome you, uh, aren't you launching the TikTok soon? Is that coming? Oh, yeah. The awesome movie year yeah. TikTok. That's yeah. a perfect place for it, too. What, one more month of quarantine, and I, I predict that happening. <laughs> that, so. that everyone will be, will be on TikTok, sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Josh. We'll get you on again one of these days soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Look forward to it. Hey, I'm Josh Bell. I'm Jason Harris. Hey, Josh, we're friends in real life, but we're also co-hosts on this new podcast called Awesome Movie Year, where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies and do a deep dive looking at movies, including the best picture winner, the biggest movie at the box office, future cult classics, and more. Including the biggest flop. And this season, we're doing 1994. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. That could be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We're all over the web as well. That awesome movie year on all the socials and awesomemovieyear.com. So please like us, subscribe. And uh, if you do like us, give us a five-star rating because we love you. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Sella and the Spades. And like I said, we got coming up later this week an episode with Josh's awesome movie year co-host, Jason Harris. He is going to be joining me to talk about... A really great movie called Banana Split, so make sure to check that out. It's on VOD right now, and then join us for that episode coming up real soon. And Josh also uh, teased our other upcoming episode that we recorded a while back. Uh, That is Gretel and Hansel. That'll be coming out next week because it's now finally coming out on VOD now that it's May. And so, yeah, there we got Josh coming back in a week. We got Jason coming up. Make sure to check out Awesome Movie Year as well. And thank you, as always, for listening to Piecing It Together. If you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We would really appreciate your feedback. And uh, five stars would be nice. We, we always love five stars. And you can also, of course, follow us on social media at PiecingPod or join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. So I think that does it for today. We got so much piecing it together coming your way, but uh, let's close this thing out with a piece of music like we always do. And what should I play for you guys today? I think I'm going to play another track from my recent album, Beater, original motion picture soundtrack. And this one, this is a track called Brothers. It was from a film called Unrequited, and it is... Of course, on this album, Beater, original motion picture soundtrack, which you can find on iTunes, on Amazon, on Spotify, on all the major digital music services. So if you enjoy Brothers, go check out the rest of the album, and uh, we'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming up later this week.
and All Points West. Thank you.